This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, The Legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. Today on DWB, I'm joined by Steve Pratt, founder of The Creativity Business, a firm focused on content strategy for brands and business strategy for the creative industries. Steve is a podcasting OG. Prior to starting The Creativity Business, he co-founded one of the world's first and leading branded podcast agencies, Pacific Content. For those of us running podcast businesses, Pacific Content is one of the elite firms standing side by side with Gimlet Media, Pineapple Studios, and other leading agencies. Named one of Entrepreneur's 100 billion companies, during his time leading Pacific Content, Steve and his team worked with some of the largest U.S.-based brands, including Ford Motor Company, BMW, The New York Times, and Slack, just to name a few. Pacific Content was started from scratch with no investment in 2014 and was eventually sold to Rogers Communication in 2019. Steve left the company last year, deciding to get back to his roots and doing what he loves, creating amazing content. I invited him on the show to share his experience living out the entrepreneurial dream many of us aspire to and what he learned about podcasting and building brands along the way. Before you hear from Steve and I, I want to encourage you to purchase my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes. Without further ado, Gunny. Get them ready. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy and business coaching for veteran owned businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding founder of Ironbound Media, and business coach at the Lions Pride. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes, or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com, to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Steve, welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. Thank you for What's having me. Very excited to so, be here. I'm energized. I'm fired up. Steve is my first guest on Dog Whistle Brandon. Actually, talk. Actually, you're not the first. I take that back because I had Scott Mackis. But, you know, I launched this platform and I didn't spend a lot of time talking about podcasting. You know, I started this as a way to really lean into educating veteran entrepreneurs, veteran-led brands about how to build a Dog Whistle brand, which podcasting is one of many tools. But Steve is a podcast OG. He launched Pacific Content, I think it was 2014, am I right? Yeah, yep, yep. So caught the wave early, built out an amazing agency, one of the leading authorities on podcasts and branded podcasts, and uh, scaled that up, was able to exit. <laughs> now he's a, a, a solopreneur, helping entrepreneurs find their creative voices, both on personal level and brand level. But uh, man, he's just, and I'll tell you, when I started Ironbound with a laptop and a microphone, I watched YouTube videos. I read the Pacific Content blog. I listen to other podcasts. And so, you know, I've had a chance to talk to Steve before, but, you know, I spent a lot of time with you in my ear on, as a podcaster, you know, learning from you. And so it's been so great to connect with you and have you come on the show to uh, share your insights with our audience. That's so nice to hear. Hey, so thank you. But also, I just need to say, like, I love the fact that you have the focus on the veteran-owned businesses, too. Like, I think it's so smart and awesome and and valuable. And I'm kind of excited to talk more about it with you because I think I think you have like a almost like 
when we would work with clients, figuring out like who's the audience you're going to serve and being very specialized in serving a particular group of people and being generous and helpful for that group. It seems like you're doing exactly that thing in the podcasting space and I love it. Yeah, this is my tribe, man. I love hanging out with them in person. I'm actually speaking tomorrow when this this will release, but I'll be speaking tomorrow at the Veteran Future Lab Summit, host moderating a panel on marketing in a digital first world. So yeah, man, this is what I enjoy doing. I think, you know, we don't talk about this enough. Content's gotta be fun. Business has to be fun. You know, sometimes people do stuff and it's a pain in the ass, but I'm always, I always try to tell my clients, I want to make working with Ironbound the best part of your week. And I legitimately enjoy podcasting. That's why I'm so bullish on the media. I, you know what you, this is so top of mind for me right now for, for a bunch of reasons. One is I, I know this is coming out in the future, but I have a, and I have two newsletters and one of them is just a fun thing that I'm doing with my friend, Jeff, about creativity. And the news that I'm putting out tomorrow was that I went to this podcasting conference in Vegas a couple of weeks ago called Podcast Movement Evolutions. And everybody there was super excited and full of energy and passionate, exactly like you're talking about. Like everybody is having a great time. And I remember, you know, when I was at Pacific Content, all my best experiences were like when clients would say to us, this is the most fun thing I've ever done in my career, or I'm having so much fun working on this project. This is the best thing, best part of my job. And then while we're in Vegas, we went to a magic show, a really famous magician, big show. This magician has his own theater. The tickets are expensive. They're like, ah, oh, we're in Vegas. Let's go see like a classic Vegas magic thing. And this guy hated his job. And you could just feel it from every pore of your body. This guy hated the fact that he had to get up on stage and do three shows a night. And he rushed through all of it and it was monotone and mumbling. And it, it was like he resented the audience or having to be there. And it was just like this really good reminder of like, man, if you don't have that fire in your belly and you're not excited anymore, you know, sorry for the magic pun, but like you should make yourself disappear. You shouldn't be, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing it yeah. anymore. And uh, I, I always got excited. Like the most fun thing that I always had was helping people figure out a really exciting podcast to make that everyone was excited about. And then in the larger industry, figuring out like, how do we grow the whole industry and do better things and new ideas and all that sort of stuff. And it was, yeah, the, you're like, I can tell every time we've talked, you have the passion and you can feel it when you're talking to people and you know, when you don't have it too. So yeah, that was a really long story, but I'm like, yes, uh, yes, great, yes. Man. Yeah. So one of our rules, one of our rules at Ironbound Media, our core values is that there are no rules in audio. Okay. So everybody tries to find this hack. They try to be the Joe Rogan. We're going to do three hour episodes or we're going to do the mini episodes. Listen, do whatever you want, right? We're still making up this, this space. There's still a lot of opportunity. So take as long as you want. Here's what I want to say too, is that I just feel like content has become a chore. It's that thing that people feel like they have to do. And then it's miserable because they're following the Gary Vanderchucks of the world. And it's content, content, content. My mentor calls it content, content, contentless marketing. It's just doing it for the sake of doing it, not really trying to add value. I think about what you mentioned before about really growing the industry. And that's what you did with your blog, educating podcasters like me, educating owners like me, because as the space grows, there's more room for everyone, right? And a lot of people don't understand that, that you actually have to sell the category. You've got to build the category. It does no good if only one person wants digital marketing. But then when you all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, there's all this opportunity in digital marketing or inbound marketing. Yeah, you're going to have your category kings like the HubSpots of the world 
but there also leaves room for everyone else. And so I don't know if you knew intentionally that's what you were doing, but that's what that's what you were able to do. Well, that's that's really nice to hear. It. I think I, I don't think we fully knew it, but I think we knew because we were really, really early in this space of working with brands and helping them make successful podcasts and, and helping them kind of think and act like media companies. We knew that this was going to be their first experience with a brand new medium. And if they had a bad experience, they weren't going to come back and they weren't going to tell anybody about it. And so we, you know, we kind of assumed that we had to represent the entire industry and help build a better long-term industry by giving people the best possible experience every single time we worked with them. And I think that's also why we started writing our blog was just, you know, when we learned things or we had ideas to be able to put them out in public and share it, hoping that you know, other people in the industry would hear it and agree or continue to share ideas the way that we were sharing them or that potential clients would Google and look for who's talking about things and find us as a result. And that, you know, kind of worked as well. But, you know, just back to your original point around content being a chore, it's almost, I, to me, that's almost like the magic show. I think if, if it becomes a chore, you should really be looking in the mirror being like, what am I doing? Because the, the people on the other end that you're trying to reach can feel when it's a chore. And they can feel when you're excited about something or when you have a unique contribution to put out there. And I, I, I think a lot of the idea around putting out things in high volume generally means you're putting out less quality. And from my point of view, from a, you know, I always think about the audience first. I don't know if there's ever been a time when people are more protective of their time and attention and where they, what they choose to consume and what they don't. And people aren't willing to suffer through crap or mediocrity. And so if you really want to get to the point where you're, you know, when you're putting the time into creating things, you should really be thinking about like, what is the most valuable thing I can put out because it has to earn people's time and attention on the other side, or, or it's, it, there's no point in doing it. And when I hear people talking about how they don't get results or they're putting out 8,000 pieces of content and nobody's looking at it, I'm like, Maybe you should put out eight and and make them really and make them really good. <laughs> yeah, or shift your perspective too. Of like, you know, hey, I got to get better at what I'm doing, so I got to get better at my craft, right? One of the reasons people might not be tuning in yet is because I'm still scrappy, right? I'm not learning. I still have a lot to learn, which is also okay. You know, I don't know if it was you who wrote about it, but content as a form of self exploration. You know, you kind of start asking these deep questions about yourself and your own thinking. No different to a lot of people who write every day in journal. You know, I kind of find myself going down this pathway with podcasting. Yeah, I have to say, I think the journaling thing is is huge. Like, you know, I uh, I talk to think and I write to think. So sometimes it'll come across as unfiltered when I'm talking as uh, just throwing ideas out against the wall without thinking about it too much. I find that really helpful, kind of brainstorming with people. Having conversations, I always learn a lot because you're talking and exploring things. And same thing with writing. You, you figure stuff out and get better as you, the more you do it. One of the things that fascinated me about you was I knew you had started Pacific Content. You guys were one of the leaders in the branded podcast movement, i.e. doing B2B podcasts, helping businesses use it as a marketing and content channel. And then all of a sudden, you know, you exited, you pop up in my, I saw you somewhere and I was like, well, I need to sign up for his newsletter. Then you pop up in my inbox and I was like, let me you know, shoot an email in the wild and see if we can connect. Because, you know, for a lot of our listeners, right, what is the dream, right? We want to scale our businesses up, at least so we think. You know, not me. I want to say small but mighty. I'm a mighty giant. I'm a small giant. But certain people want to scale up. 
Then what do they do? They exit. They become a venture capital. They venture capitalists. They kind of rinse and repeat. But here you are. You got your newsletter going, right? You're jumping on and taking calls with, you know, content creators slash entrepreneurs like me. So I would love you to bring our listeners up to speed, one, on what Pacific content was and how you got to where you are today with the creativity business. I'll try and do this briefly and you tell me where, if you want to dig into anything. Oh, you're so, good. Yeah. So, so I was working in the media. I, I worked in the media and TV and radio and, and digital audio in Canada for about 20 years. And I saw a lot of the business model changing. And this is kind of in, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, that sort of era where a lot of the advertising was moving to Facebook and Google and things like that. And a lot of traditional media was missing sales targets every year. And that ended up in budget cuts and layoffs and not being able to do as interesting programming and things like that. And I also saw companies like Red Bull just starting to acknowledge the fact that with digital, you don't actually need to go and rent somebody else's audiences. You can build your own if you make good stuff. And I was just incredibly inspired by the fact that they were like this energy drink had become a media company and they were making all these great shows and pieces of content and traditional media companies were buying their shows or licensing their shows and putting Red Bull shows on TV because they were better than what a lot of the other networks are making. And it made me realize like, oh, all these skills that media people have are suddenly really valuable in the marketing space with brands because this is the first time that they've been able to actually build their own audiences and own their own audiences by making shows instead of kind of having to buy interruptions as the, as the only way to get people's attention. So I, I left and started this company with some friends called Pacific Content. And the, the idea was to help other companies learn to think and act like media companies. And the podcast Serial came out soon after we started the company. And we had been podcasting in previous jobs since like 2005. And we're like, maybe we should go really, really like incredibly niche on this and be the only company on the planet right now that does podcasts for brands and helps them make real shows. And we kind of thought it was a crazy idea. We had a connection at Slack when they were kind of a young startup and we met with the CMO twice and they said yes. And and then we started making this podcast for Slack and we we put it out and it did really, really well because it was, it was weird. And everyone was, was surprised that Slack had a podcast. And I remember one of the headlines in, I, I think it was Forbes, was Slack has a podcast, comma, for some reason. And I was like, this is the best headline you could ever get because it's just going to arouse curiosity in people. Like this is a, it's a strange thing. Go listen to it. And it was not an infomercial. It was a real show about the future of work and it had a personality and it was fun and playful and all that sort of stuff. And um, we kind of kept growing, growing from there. Like it, I think it, it, the success of the Slack one led to a lot of other people coming in and asking us to make shows. And we, over the years, people would come in with different problems, you know, different business problems. And we'd figure out how to solve them with a, a you know, creative show that people wanted to listen to. And eventually we had to figure out how to build audiences for shows in, in podcasts. And it, it turns out that brands have a whole bunch of channels and, and have a lot of reach that they probably have never used for marketing a show the way a media company does. And figuring out how to do that helped grow the business to a certain point. I don't think we ever really started the business thinking we were 
that anyone would ever buy it. <laughs> so it was, it was a way, it, it was a strange time in podcasting and, and we had a really wonderful partner in Rogers communications in, in Canada, which is a, a huge, like $30 billion telecom communications media company. They own sports teams and arenas and all, like all sorts of stuff. So we, we joined them in 2019 and, and then just about a year ago, I, I left and I'm, you know, to your point, like I, I don't really have any interest in becoming a VC or anything like that. I, I think the thing I've, I've, I've missed a lot was, was actually doing the thinking and, and working with clients and exploring kind of, I don't know, different ways of helping companies and businesses differentiate themselves and find their unique voices and their unique stories and, and the different ways of expressing them. And uh, so I'm, I'm writing a, a couple of newsletters. One, one I mentioned about creativity and then one around this idea of how to earn attention. And it's a lot of the similar values to what I talked about with Pacific content, but you know, in a much bigger landscape of if you want to earn attention, you have to stop going in with the mindset of short-term cranking out lots of stuff that's mediocre. You have to stop trying to steal it or buy it or hijack it or capture it and start thinking about how can I create serious value for people and how can I do that over time so that they build trust with me and, you know, and, and where we can build a relationship together and that that's actually the ultimate win. But I think it kind of goes counter to a lot of the short term, you know, and, and hack tip based thinking that's out there right now. Did you get everything you expected out of your first entrepreneurial roller coaster going from idea to exit? It was crazy. Like I, I don't know what your experience has been, but you know, it took me a long time to get comfortable, you know, or to get over the fear of stepping off the ledge to actually start a business, like to leave the security of a job, you know, and I have a family and all sorts of things where there's a, there's a big risk to doing it. And I, I'd never done it before, but I always kind of wanted to do it. And so we just hit this point and I stepped off the ledge and my family supported me. My wife was amazing. And it was, it was, it was a real wonderful up and down roller coaster, but it was like the, it was like an MBA on, you know, fast forward. It was, you just learned so much so quickly. And it was I, one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. Like the amount of, the amount of amazing people we got to work with, the amount of clients that trusted us to come on board and do things early. And in some ways, you know, like the, the ability to build the company that you would have wanted to work at or to create the culture that you want to work in or the client service level that you want to work in. That's just a total gift. I don't think I fully understood how amazing that would be. Yeah. But it's a different level once you start to scale up, right? Now you turn into a manager, you got to like, it just changes, right? Get you a little bit further away from, like you say, the creativity and the strategic thinking. Because now you got to empower your team to be able to do that work. Yeah. And it's really interesting because at different stages of a business, you have to, you know, you're the one who has to proactively rethink your role all the time and think about what you're going to shed so that you can take on the responsibilities of the next level of growth or what the team needs most from you now, or to recognize where your blind spots are, that you're not going to be able to do that and know when to hire certain areas of expertise and specialty that you're you're never yeah. going to be good enough at. <laughs> did you feel like when you were in it, did you feel like at any point that you had made it yet? Were you like, oh, we've made it. We're legit. Man, I th I think we, so we're Canadian. So there's always that weird self-doubt and, and, <laughs> and inability to feel like super confident and, and, and talk about it confidently. I think we felt really fortunate a lot. You know, again, getting Slack as a first client, very fortunate 
that led to a bunch of stuff with companies in Silicon Valley and and got a bit of a, a reputation there as a company that knew what we were doing and was delivering results. And we were just like, man, this is a, a weird Canadian thing, but I think, you know, when you, it's always a little bit intimidating coming down to the States because you kind of feel like a yeah. small, timid Northern neighbor sometimes. And that was a weird thing when we started coming down and working with these big companies at the first thing, it was really daunting and intimidating going into boardrooms or talking to people. And then you, you kind of get in there and you're like, oh, you know what? They're all just people and they're all really smart and nice. And they know all sorts of stuff that we don't know, but we know a whole bunch of stuff about audio and storytelling and audiences that they don't know. Let's just all lean in and become one team and collaborate really deeply together. And it, we got over that into a comfort level pretty quickly where all this stuff that I think you know, a year prior to that, we would have been like, our, our heads would have exploded if you told us what we were doing. And suddenly that was the new normal and we felt really comfortable in it. And then that was the part where we were like, man, we we're really lucky and fortunate to be able to have that kind of experience. It's all sausage making, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz. So like, I know, I know entrepreneurship now. It's a punch in the face, ebbs and flow. You know, Monday, you're like, I suck at life. Thursday, like, you're the man, baby. Woo, just got a new client. We're back in it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then some client cancels of- last minute because they had a budget cut or something. And yeah, it's uh, exactly. it is a constant soap opera. You got to really manage your ups and downs. Huh? So I, I know what it is. I feel a lot more confident today. walking in those boardrooms. I'm like, in the military, we have a term, actuals talk to actuals. You can be a Lance Corporal, but if you're in charge, you're a little fire team. And, you know, you got to talk to a commander, whether he's a platoon commander or colonel, it's actuals talk to actuals. And that's the same thing I think about, you know, being an entrepreneur or adding value that a client doesn't really have the, I don't know, same knowledge and insights that you bring. And so, you know, when I think about 2014, right, I'm a social person, as you can probably obviously tell. People are like, Mike, you need to get into podcasting. And I thought podcasting was, it was kind of nerdy back then, right? I this still feel like, like a nerd. You called me an OG earlier. I almost interrupted you. Be like, I think it's more like a super nerd. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. My casting was just like really kind of nerd. Like people who did it were like kind of weird, right? But then at that, but then at the same time, right? You got the guy from Earwolf. I think he was like exited in 2014 or something. You guys are coming out. I think you were the first ones to introduce the term branded podcast that you shifted away from. You were like, I think you said it was like too limiting. But what has been your experience with the the way the space has adopted podcasting as like a branding channel? What have you learned? Do you mean the podcast industry or? or yeah, yeah, the podcast, the, the branded podcast, kind of like your approach to podcasting. Because, you know, I think about when you said Slack as a first client, like, how are you telling people to measure the ROI on this thing? You're, you know, like, oh, we're going to do this podcast because there's a lot of listeners here are listening and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm bullish. I get it. Mike's bullish on podcasting. But like, yo, what's the ROI on this thing? But you guys have done it. You've proven out over and over and over again. And you've made some lessons. You've shifted your approach. But, you know, I would just love to learn your experience of actually applying these lessons in the market. Yeah, it's interesting. So when when we when we first started, like a huge, huge part of it was education. Like every single new client, every single new conversation was education, education, education about like, how does this thing work and what's interesting about it and why should we consider it and how do you measure it and all, all those sorts of things. And some of them we knew answers to early on and some of them we didn't. And we had to kind of realize like, oh, you know what? We got to lean in and try and figure out how to solve this problem. And, you know, originally, I think when we talked about you know, to clients like here, the value proposition of making a podcast, 
was you get to own the audience a hundred percent. Like you get to have people who sign up and opt in voluntarily because you've made a great show. And there's, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of people, sometimes more than that, who have all voluntarily said, I would like to hear more from you. And when they show up, every time you put something out, they're going to spend, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes over and over and over again with a super intimate experience of a brand talking to you in, in their ears. And that alone is a, is a monster win for most companies. I think especially on social media where they may have built up large audiences, but then they put something out and all their reach gets throttled and they have to pay to reach their own audiences. The ability to have something you own is, is huge. But then I think as, you know, as the industry grew, a lot of it really became around the, the value is time. The value is attention in audio, particularly it's not, it's not a reach medium. This is not a thing that you're going to suddenly go viral and get 10 million listens to a, a podcast. And, and, you know, everybody talks about Joe Rogan or serial. Those are the weird outliers. It is around figuring out exactly who the people you want to talk to is and making something really special and valuable for them. And if you do that, you get an enormous, enormous amount of time and attention that you'll never get on TikTok or, you know, or, or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anything else. And if you're in the business of wanting to get people to know who you are or to, or what you stand for or your, your brand voice or values, there's nothing better than a, a podcast where people are like spending a half hour of uninterrupted attention with you over and over and over again. I think it's interesting how like now even like you and I doing this interview podcast is kind of looked down upon. It's like, oh, we don't do interview podcasts anymore. You know, that's like the thing of the past, right? We're more innovative, you know, da da da. But there's still so much to learn. You know what I mean? And I think about you guys were front and center. You were defining what ROI looked like. So you're like telling them like, hey, this is what we think ROI looks like. Here you're going to your blog and you're saying, hey, these are some of the ROIs you can try to measure for a podcast. Analytics, I know were terrible in 2014. They're still terrible today because you still don't know specifically who's listening, right? You can watch the data, but it's like it doesn't say, oh, Steve's listening to my podcast. So you can't collect that. It's the It still feels like the Wild West in terms of what's working for growth because when I jumped on, people were doing audiograms. Now they're making YouTube channels. And it's like, what freaking actually works? And I've had to come back and center myself on some things of just values, like what are your values? And you know, before we went live, I said, hey, by the way, we're not recording, you know, because I'm not in the video podcasting. It's just not my jam, right? I know there are people out there that think video podcasting is the way to go, it builds awareness, but I know my listener, one, they're commuting. If it is on video, they're not spending a lot of time watching it. They might only watch a clip or so. And I've also noticed that it changes the conversation when people feel like they're being recorded Versus just that like intimacy I like with podcasting. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. You know, I, before doing a podcast company, I, I worked at this kind of audio innovation lab called CBC Radio 3 in Vancouver. And it had a, an interesting job. The job was to help promote independent Canadian music and to help grow audiences, like young audiences to connect with with CBC, the public broadcaster that would not listen on traditional radio or television. So, you know, in some ways we defined ourselves by the content and the purpose 
and not by a platform. And we happen to podcast and we happen to have a YouTube channel and we happen to have a website and we, you know, we had a satellite radio station on Sirius XM, but every single content strategy was designed for the strengths of the medium. And it was not a copy paste thing from one platform to another, to another, to another. And we would, you know, my old colleague, this guy named Jonas Wu, who, who runs a podcast growth agency now called Bumper, he and I made this grid of all the different places that you could put content out and then all the different strengths, you know, like the different types of things that you might want to do to promote music. And it could be like, is it live or is it on demand? Is there a community feature? You know, do you have music rights? Like all sorts of different, is there personalization? And you could put little check marks by which platforms did which things and then decide which ones you wanted to play into and which ones, you know, you, you didn't want to. And I think the idea of just copying and pasting podcasts into video, I don't think most people are going to want to do that unless they, unless they're going to YouTube and not, not watching the video for half an hour. I almost, you know, and this is a resources and a time question, but I, I feel like if you're going to make video, have a video strategy and make something that plays to the strength of video. And it's probably not a half hour unedited conversation on video where this works really, really well. Like you said, in a car, on a commute, on a bus, walking your dog, working out, you've got a foreground thing that you're doing. And I can listen to the podcast with full attention in the back, in the background. Like I, I can, you know, I can, sorry, I've got that backwards. I can, my attention's in the foreground. I'm doing something else where I can't use my eyes. Like I'm not using a screen, but if I'm sitting on my phone, I don't think I'm going to watch two people talking with full attention for that long. I think there's a, I think there's a reason why TikTok does so does so well on the video site these yeah. days. I call it like snackable content, right? It's like that bag of potato chips. Like it feels good in the moment, but you just cheated your diet and you know it, right? It's not a high quality meal. And I think people think everyone just wants snackable content, attention, attention, attention. But guess what, man? There are people that still go to these independent bookstores. You know, they still love grabbing their cup of coffee, sit down, read some good content. And I think smaller brands too, that can be an advantage. And what going back to what we said about content being a chore, what I've noticed is they get this content strategy of like, okay, we're going to create these videos. The pain in the ass of the editing of da-da-da and da-da-da. And guess what? You do it once, and you got to do it again. You got to do it again. And now it becomes, oh, my gosh, this just becomes a whole nother hamster wheel that I'm on because now people expect this of me because this is how I've shown up, right? And so I'm constantly having to talk people off the ledge around that. And for you, I'm willing to bet, right? So here you are. You guys have your core values. You've got your approach to content and your clients are watching what other people are doing. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. How were you able to like ring them in and keep them focused on like, hey, I think this is the best strategy and you should trust us. I think that we were always a fewer things better was a mantra we used over and over and over again. And whether that was trying to do too many different platforms or whether it was trying to do too many episodes with too little time or too little budget. I remember like a pretty common thing because I I was the person who talked to to all all the new clients, you know, when they're when they're coming in for the you know for the first bunch of years. And someone would come in and be like, "Oh, I have this much money and I want to do twenty episodes." And I, the, you know, one of the first things I say is like, "You know what? Why don't we do six episodes for the same budget and make them really outstanding episodes and make you know and, and make sure you have some marketing money." you know, and resources to actually put it out there, having 20 versions that no one listens to, 
like it's no one on the other side cares about how many there are. It's about how good they are and whether that you've earned a place for people to put them into their listening habits or not. And I think it's probably the same thing, you know, with, with video or, or other different platforms. It's like, what's sustainable for your team and your resources and your budget and how many things can you do really well where they're still going to earn people's time and attention, not only trying to avoid mediocrity, but trying to avoid burnout where you're cranking out all these things and then you fall behind and stop doing a bunch of them when the, when you've set the expectation that you're going to be doing a bunch of stuff that you, you can't actually sustain. Speaking of burnout, I was listening to startup. I listened to startup also. And one of the things that you and the guy from startup, what's his name? The founder of Gimlet? Alex Bloomberg. Yeah. Every photo I saw both of you, you always had your headphones in or they were around your neck. So that's how I knew y'all were in the trenches. And even your video <laughs> podcast, right? It's all a you prop. It's all a prop. <laughs> yeah. You were in a little quiet place. You were like an audio guy, right? But you pushed the envelope because y'all start doing narrative podcasting. And from everything I've read, narrative podcasting is extremely hard. It takes a lot of time. How did you feel comfortable doing that with these brands? And what actually led to the push to do it? We started it. Like, we came into the clients with that. And we were really lucky. Honestly, like, we just from having worked at the, at the CBC, there were so many people who are really good audio storytellers and like, like, and the, the people who've done that for years and who are really good at understanding the strengths and the power of audio and how to tell stories in audio. I think we realized that it's a fairly shallow pool of people who know how to do that well. And that if we could get people like that to work with us, and clients like brands would actually have budgets to be able to make podcasts. We could make shows that were much, you know, much higher narrative levels of podcast than a lot of other shows out there and differentiate them so that they would, you know, so they would pop more. And I think when you think about that idea of time and attention, when you're telling stories, if you start off an episode and plunge somebody into a story, they're going to keep listening because they want to find out how it ends. And if you, if you, if you tell great stories, it's a lot easier to tell other people about them also afterwards. So I think from our point of view, if, if, if a brand has budget to make something, you know, and the, and the business model is there where you're not trying to recoup it all by selling ads on it, it's going to be a more effective podcast for a brand that's going to have a bigger impact. So we, you know, in some ways that was what we went out and, and sold was this, this is actually your advantage as a brand is to make something that is really high-end storytelling, almost like an audio documentary or, you know, a series like that. And you also have a bunch of unfair advantages that you've got huge reach through other channels and whether that's your website, or your apps, your newsletters, your, your employees to be able to make a marketing plan, to let lots of people know about it. It felt like it was, a, you know, that, that was part of the the value of, of why people should con consider making a podcast with us. Of all the different types of podcasts from interviews to the narrative podcast to maybe there's another kind of podcast that we're not talking about. Maybe the snippets, the daily podcast, what's your favorite format to work on? You know what? I, this is a, this is a weird one. I love the magazine show. So the magazine show is, I, I, you know, I, oddly that was the one that we started off with, with Slack is, kind of like you read a magazine, it's, the magazine's got different sections in it and you have, you know, little opening short things. You've got a couple meaty 
you know, feature articles. There's a couple quirky little regular features at the back and some little kicker on the back page or something like that. You can do that in almost any format. You can do that in television. You could do it in, you know, in podcasts. And it ends up with like a lot of short segments, like, you know, three to five minutes, maybe a seven minute thing. And they assemble all together to make a show that kind of moves along pretty quickly and has little turns and segments in it that people can look forward to. And I always found it fun because you, you didn't, you didn't have to have something all on its own that sustained for a half hour. Like that's a really hard thing to find a story that sustains people's attention for a full half hour. And you could have these fun little nuggets of stories that like, Hey, maybe this is only worth a minute, but in a magazine show, you can actually do that and it'll be a great thing. And that might be the sort of shorter piece that you can share on social that people would share and, and talk about in a way that's hard to do with a half hour. But that's just selfish for me because that's what I enjoy making more. <laughs> that's it. I doesn't mean that it's out. necessarily more effective for for every client. Yeah. Now, one of the hard parts about particularly the level of podcasting you were doing, this high quality narrative podcast stuff, et cetera, is you got to do it's a lot of money. It's not cheap, right? So you got to invest up front time. But then there's this whole other marketing that you have to do as well. And so I could imagine the pressure of like, yeah, we spent all this money. Why we only got two listeners? So talk to us about like audience growth and how do you balance it between creating the content and then also, you know, making sure that you're able to actually get people to listen? Yeah, it's a really, it's a great question because I think this is the one piece that everybody gets into podcasting. Um, a lot of people forget the fact that you actually have, to, you're starting from zero. There's no listeners. <laughs> and, and especially media companies or, or brands that are used to having large channels, that starting from zero is a hard place for everybody. And I think you kind of have to start thinking about audience development and how you're going to build an audience from the very first day that you start deciding to make a podcast. And you have to think about who is this thing for and why are they going to listen to this? What's the, what is the gift or the value that we're going to give to them? And then start thinking about how are we, how are we going to design a show that's going to be marketable? So I think first of all, it has to be a great show and something that the audience is going to value. Like, I think one of the number one things that, you know, by default, most people will come in and start wanting to talk about themselves or their own company or their own products or their own services or the priorities that they want to talk about rather than thinking about like, what are the things that this audience would really value that we're in a good position to help them, you know, help provide to them. But also thinking about editorially, like does every episode open itself up to different ways to promote to different groups of people? Like if, if we make 10 episodes, are there 10 separate marketing strategies that we can have for each episode? And are we choosing things where each episode is going to reach new people and grow? Thinking about what sort of strengths you already have in your back pocket. So if you're, if you're a company and you already have an email list or you have a website or you have social channels, or if you have a physical location where you might be able to put signage up, you know, Trader Joe's has a podcast and they do a phenomenal job of putting signage up all over their stores. We did a show with Charles Schwab and they used signage in their branches. I know there's a company, I think KLM airlines had a show that a, a company in Europe made and they could promote it in the seat back of their airplane seats or on your air, airline ticket, you could have a promo for it. There's so many really weird ways to be able to promote something that don't actually really cost you anything if, if you're a brand and you have those channels. But the other piece I think is to think about where are the people that you're trying to reach already listening to things or where are they already congregating and meeting and 
instead of trying to advertise to everybody or think really broadly, thinking about like, how do we go to a couple of key areas? And these wouldn't necessarily have to be all that expensive, but where can we reach them where they already are and make a really compelling, you know, pitch for them about what the value of this podcast is. I know I, I didn't do this, but our team did a really good job of this at Pacific content. We, we made a, a show about the return of the Ford Bronco for Ford that had been out of production for like 20 years and they brought it back. And there's a whole amazing history to the Ford Bronco and where it came from and why it went out of production and this whole underground movement to bring it back and all sorts of stuff. And some of the most effective promotion for it was there were online Ford Bronco communities that were, there were Bronco owners who, you know, just deeply passionate about it and figuring out how to put this show in front of them and get them to, you know, listen to the show in some cases to pay to be in, in a newsletter or another podcast or a YouTube channel where the hosts were passionate Bronco people who'd listened to the episode and gave it a hearty endorsement, massive success. I think about now, right? One of the reasons so many brands or podcasts, little internet people, you know what I'm talking about? They're the ones like, hey, you want to get 10,000 listeners, right? All these people that are like, oh, you need to do a weekly podcast because weekly podcast gives you the chance to build an audience over time, right? Which makes sense. But I can think about the pressure when you got a six episode podcast, an eight episode podcast. Did you feel like it was super intense? Did you have to differentiate your marketing strategy for something like that as opposed to you know, something that gave you a little more room to build that audience? Yeah, I think we, we we took the view that it's hard to build an audience with less than six episodes. And we would encourage people to publish every other week rather than weekly so that you had two weeks between episodes. So you're kind of in market for a, kind of a minimum of three months. And if they wanted to do more episodes, sometimes people would do 12 and you're in, in market for half a year that way. But then it gives you two weeks for every single episode to market that episode and to kind of max it out and, and put the full marketing weight behind it. I think we found when you publish weekly, it's almost like the water's rising with every episode you put out and you're kind of just trying to get the episodes out and some of the marketing push falls between the cracks and you can't really make full use of it. And I think that that's sometimes the case with an always on podcast of doing it weekly is that just getting it out weekly and booking it and recording it, it it's hard to keep the water from rising, let alone marketing it effectively all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, like I said earlier, like I'm a, a huge fan of fewer things better and how many levers you can pull to increase quality so that people are going to listen to it and tell other people about it and subscribe to it. And it's not that it's impossible to do a weekly show really, really well. There's lots of examples of it. There's daily shows that do it really, really well. But, you know, I think the daily, the New York times daily, there's, over 20 people, like full-time people working to put out a great daily show. And that's your competition. If you're doing a daily show is, is the daily and for people, you know, there's lots of other, they're not the only competition, but they're a great example of like, unless you have 20 people, that's where you're going to be judged against in some ways, unless you're really serving a very particular group of people and you're the only person doing daily for that particular group. So I think in some ways it's like, there's a, a trade-off between like, are you the only person doing it? And if, if you are great, you still have to be valuable to get people to, to listen to it, but maybe the bar is not as high, but the more you step into competitive areas, 
you, you have to deliver the goods and make it worth people's time. And when you start cutting corners or starting to drop in quality because you're putting out too much, I think you lose the audience. Yeah, 100%. I'll tell you, when I launched Ironbound Media, I knew from the fact, I was like, okay, I see all these people that are trying to monetize podcasts and off of downloads. I said, I'm going to focus on the production, right? But you get a fully professional-grade podcast at this cost. You have a team, et cetera. And that's how I bootstrapped the business we launched, you know? And then when I think about this podcast, Dog Whistle Branding, one of the reasons I wanted to do it this way was because I grew up in the veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem. I learned from veteran-specific incubators and accelerators, and we were really good at teaching entrepreneurs how to put their little pitch deck together, you know, value prop. But in terms of go-to-market, it was the Wild West. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to close that gap by launching a podcast, educating people on best practice for building brands. You call branded podcasts. You call them branded podcasts. I call them dog whistles, right? But that's just branded content in general, targeting a specific listener's ear. But I also knew that a lot of veteran-led brands weren't necessarily investing in podcasting as a growth channel yet. And so instead of just focusing purely on podcasts, I said, you know what? I'm going to teach and share everything I'm learning about what it takes to build a badass dog whistle brand of which podcast is one channel. There's newsletters. There's all these other things. So I went the niche audience route, but I also knew, like you said, I think I thought about the channel and who, where I was going first. I didn't just launch a podcast into ether saying, oh, I hope I get listeners. But you also, and this is the part I love about your business is you're uniquely suited as a veteran, you're uniquely suited to be able to understand veteran-owned businesses. Like you're one of them, right? And I think that that's the part that I love about what you're doing is because you're hosting a conversation and talking to people about things that you are you a unique expert in and uniquely qualified to be able to talk about. And other people in that community are going to find out about it because you're the real deal and you know what's going on. And if anybody in a veteran-owned business listens to your show and they're thinking about you know, either branding, newsletters, podcasts, whatever, and they're thinking about who's the right partner for them, pretty sure you got a pretty big advantage over most people because you're part of their community and you get it. So I, I anyways, I love it. I think, I think like this is a wonderful example of something that even though we, even though currently we are talking about your business, this show is not about your business. You know, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's good. I, yeah, I there's no rules in audio. We're yeah. talking about my business. No, but I just mean like, like this is not an infomercial for your business. This whole podcast no. is not. This is a generous offer to help people learn how to build better brands and businesses. And I think that that's why this is such a smart podcast for your business. <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah. you know, there's a really and there's it's real fun value too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see the cover art. I'm a Marine. I went ahead and found the Full Metal Jacket logo. I changed out the bullets and turned them into to dog whistles, right? Like, I literally have fun on this platform. It lets me, you know, share value to the audience. It helps me learn. I could turn my lessons into a book or something. And the amount of entrepreneurs I run to that say, Mike, I listen to your podcast. Thank you so much. Or, like, I'm noticing this movement now where people are messaging me directly on these social platforms, just letting me know that they listen to it and how much they appreciate them, et cetera. It was interesting. It was, the, it was kind of the same thing with the Pacific content blog is we, we really didn't do much in the way of, we, we had a website, we had a blog and a newsletter where we put out our thinking and, and we shared our thoughts around what best practices were for brands or how to measure podcasts or how to think about podcasts, all those sorts of things. Every person that's at a company thinking about making a podcast is going to Google before they decide who they're going to reach out to. 
And if there's a bunch of stuff out there where we're demonstrating our expertise, we were hoping that people would choose us. And they did like huge companies Googled, found our blog posts and went to our website and entered a contact us form. And I, I would be in the other end of this email and being like, we just got an email from this fortune 500 multi-billion dollar company. This is crazy that, that it worked. But I think that's also the same, like that's the value of the whole idea of making a great piece of content is I'm not interrupting you and I'm not hard selling you. I'm putting value out there and hoping that you see that and understand how I think and what's important to me or what my values are. And if that aligns with what you're looking for, hopefully you're going to reach out to me. And that, that worked out really, really well. And it sounds like it's working out really well for you where people are coming up to you and saying like, Hey, I listen to your podcast. That's awesome. Like that's, it's the same thing with any, anybody doing it. I think it's the key is if you're not creating value for your listeners, that's not going to happen. And if you do create value for your listeners, it's going to happen all the time. We have listeners that are tuning in that are, know they need to invest in content, but they're scrappy. Right. They're like, Steve, I ain't got a bunch of money to be investing in. No. What are the podcast agencies now? What's a, what's a big agency? Neo Home Media or whatever else. They're like, it's me and my co-founder. We got an ATR 2100 and we know Iron Mike. Right. Like, how should we think about launching realistically? I think the so there's a few there's a few things just to recap from the earlier one. Make sure it's sustainable. Like make sure this is something that you actually have time and energy to do. One of the best ways to do it is to make a couple of episodes and not publish them first. Like figure out how much work it is and whether that's sustainable. Because when you're really excited about something new, you find time to to put it into your schedule. But thinking about if you're running a company, especially a startup, do you have time to do something weekly and record a podcast weekly when things when things go weird as they do in in startups as founders, you know. You need to set expectations for the audience and for yourself that are reasonable. I think the number two thing is making sure that you're really putting the audience first. Like what's, what's the thing that only we can offer to them that we know is going to benefit them and is going to help shape the way that they think about who we are as a company. And I think no matter what format you choose or what budget you choose or how often you put it out, if you're starting with generosity and empathy and the idea of creating value for other people, if you do a good job at that, the connection will be there and, it, and it's worthwhile. And I, I, there's a guy named Ryan Holiday who writes a lot about stoicism and, and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. He's amazing. But he just put out a newsletter a couple of weeks ago and it really stuck with me because he said, you know, I, I made a big decision a number of years ago that I was not going to spend any more money on advertising. And instead I was going to put all my time and energy and my money into making content that stood the test of time that would always be here and that people could keep discovering over and over and over again. Whereas like, you know, buying an ad is this ephemeral thing that's here and, it, and it's gone. And, you know, it, it, it really, that, that really st stood out for me as well around like, am I making something that people are going to value and that can keep finding and coming back to Because that's, I think that's the way that you build trust in relationships and relationships and eventually build customers is by letting people know who you are and what you stand for. I have a note here and I'm probably gonna do an episode on it. It's called the back catalog is undefeated. Cause you know what? I look at some of my downloads, the back catalog is moving, you know? And the fact that like Ryan holiday said, you can go back in time and listen to this evergreen content. 
not just this snackable stuff that people are pumping, 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 but stuff that survives the test of time. Super impactful. And I would love if you afford me that email from Ryan, because I would love to read it. Yeah, we honestly, the back catalog, huge. But you have to design it to your point. Like you said, evergreen, it has to be evergreen to be to be continually relevant. And I think that that's a big decision for a content maker to, to decide is like, am I going to be topical and newsworthy where the thing I put out is going to be, you know, kind of worth zero in two weeks? And I have to keep putting that out over and over and over again. Or am I going to make something great? And this is where these, you know, maybe six episodes instead of 20 or an always on makes a lot more sense when you think about it through this lens. If I make six great episodes that are evergreen, new people are going to be coming into that over and over and over and over again for years if I do it properly. And I can keep marketing those same six episodes to different people for years if I do it well and it's the right topic and it's still relevant. We had clients, honestly, where you know, the data would always show the first episode was always the number one listened to episode and not because it was better. It's because it had just been out longer and people were continually coming in that, the, you know, every episode kept growing over time. And you could look back at past seasons and being like, man, there's people coming in and listening to lot who, who started on season three, but then went back to season one and started listening to all the episodes back through there. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think you should totally do the back catalog episode. As you look towards the future with all things audio, because we just talked about podcasts, there's audio books, right? We got podcasts, and then the work you're doing with the creativity business. Is there anything that excites you the most? I think there's all sorts of stuff that that hasn't been played with enough yet. Like I, I know there's people experimenting with it. I just think it hasn't popped enough. Like there hasn't been a serial for, you know, like a, a sitcom or, you know, or a soap opera or like, I know, I know those are really weird examples when, oh, geez, I'm blanking on it. What was the name of that game show that was, that was going live on Facebook for a while? I remember. Yeah. Um, I used to play it. Right. Like there, there are game shows. There's some really good game shows in, in, in podcasting, but like, I feel like that there's room for a big hit. There's no, there's no wheel of fortune or jeopardy in podcasting is my, my point. You know, like there's all sorts of things from other mediums where some of these other formats should logically work in audio that they haven't yet. And I don't know whether that's a business model that's just too hard to do it and make your money back or, or whether it's just people haven't been exposed to it the right way. But there are, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really great companies that are starting to, you know, not even starting, they've been doing fiction for a while and it is a growing community and a growing part of podcasting. There's a company called Realm. There's there's one called Q code that are doing fiction and doing really well. I think the thing I'm worried about with audio, and this is, a, you know, kind of going back to our earlier point about quality and level of effort and all that sort of stuff. I worry a little bit about people seeing AI as a shortcut to having, you know, AI write all their scripts or printing your voice in a, in a voice duplicator and it reads your scripts and then no humans are ever involved in putting your podcast out. And then you can put something out daily. I think kind of back to, if I go full cir circle back to the, to the bad magic show in, in Vegas, I think people are going to know that it's AI writing a script and it's not your real voice and it doesn't have that magic passion coming through inside of it. And that people aren't, aren't going to connect with it the same way. So I hope that you know, the, I, th I think if I, if I think about the future, I think the people who, who, you know, to your point, really, really excited about the medium and are super excited about making content and coming in and want to make a difference for listeners and want to create value. 
those people are going to have a lot more success than the people are trying to crank things out and find shortcuts. Well, Steve, I appreciate you for spending this time with us. Y'all, Steve Times worth $10,000 a minute. He's an entrepreneur. He's lived the dream. Is, I gotta go. And he's still giving back. <laughs> he's like, I need to run that. I need to see that invoice, Mike. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, people ask me all the time because I'm a podcaster. I run a podcast production agency. You know, who do you listen to? Who's your favorite podcast? Tim Ferriss? Is it Joe Rogan? It's like, no, it's guys like Steve Pratt. And you haven't even been on that many podcasts. I had to go hunting for you, but just because of the value that you bring, you know, and those of us that like really love the craft, right? Like I just, I enjoy learning from people like you, whether I said it's your blog, the podcast guests you've been on, the podcast shows you've guested on. And now even with Dog Whistle Brandon, like I already know I got to go back and listen to this show, but we've got veteran entrepreneurs tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've given us so much today. Please let us know how we can support you on this next phase of your own entrepreneurial journey. Oh man, I have I have a Substack, like a newsletter about about earning attention and content strategy. That's creativitybusiness.substack.com. That that would probably be the the only thing I could think of. <laughs> but I have to say, I've really enjoyed the chat with you today, Mike. Like I love your business, and it's, I love talking to other people who are super passionate about audio and figuring out how to better serve the communities that they're they're working with. So yeah, nice work. You're doing an awesome job. I appreciate it. I'll be sure to include a link to your Substack in the chat. Count me as a paid subscriber. I'll get that taken care of as oh, well. Oh, it's all free. You know, really there's no paid. Content. It's all free. It's all good. <laughs> so, oh, I thought, yeah. I thought there was a paid subscription. Maybe I should do that too. If I, I don't know, but I uh, no, it's all free. So it's all good. Yeah. Roger. But see, Steve, we appreciate you. It's going to add a lot of value to the community. And thank you again for making time with us. And for everyone tuning in, please just make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter at the link in the show notes as well. If it's a topic like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, Shoot me an email at mike at wearironbound.com or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy for veteran owned businesses. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders. We serve mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veteran and other badass-owned businesses at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. Lions Pride.